From Psalm 22, My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The journey to the empty tomb via the cross has no shortcuts, but plenty of tempting off-ramps. Tim continues to reflect today on Christ's famous last words during the crucifixion. The next phrase from the cross that we're going to look at is found in Mark chapter 15 or in Matthew chapter 27. In Mark 15, starting verse 33, we read, At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These obviously are gut-wrenching words. As far as the horror of Christ's death is concerned, in my opinion, this phrase is the culmination. This is the moment of complete and total horror for Jesus. For three hours from midday until 3 p.m., it's complete darkness. And that's the appropriate context for this statement. This is the feeling of complete and total loneliness, of judgment, of abandonment. And sometimes the earth reveals kind of what's happening in the heavenlies. And here, earth is reeling in response to what's happening spiritually. No one in the situation could actually see, of course, what's happening in the spiritual world. But if they could, if we could look back into what was happening spiritually, just imagine what must have been happening. You remember, of course, in in Revelation, there's the picture of the woman giving birth to the baby and the dragon is there trying to steal the child. That's at the incarnation, at the birth of Christ. But imagine what it looks like at the cross, just the demonic hordes swirling around, a feeding frenzy coming for Christ. This statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is obviously a quote from Psalm 22. If you don't know the Psalm, you can go back and read it. But there's been a question, is this actually Jesus truly experiencing the forsakenness of God? Is he just crying this out? And it ends up being the fulfillment of this prophecy, or is Jesus intentionally quoting this psalm? And I think the answer likely is yes to both of those things. One of the things that we notice here is that as Jesus is talking to his father, he typically says, Father. We'll see that in the phrase, Father, forgive them, or Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Like there's this fatherly relationship that he's always leaning into. But here he says, my God, my God. And this is a direct quote from Psalm 22. And so I believe we should see it as Jesus reciting the Psalm. And this is, of course, a very appropriate thing for any Jewish person of the ancient Near East to do to express themselves is to express themselves and to pray from the quote of the Psalms that were given just for this sort of thing. 
But why exactly does he quote it here? You know, Isaiah 53 says in prophecy about Jesus, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus in this moment, I believe, is praying. This is a prayer. And, and this is the hour of prayer. The, the ninth hour, 3 p.m., is a Jewish hour of prayer. And at that ninth hour, he begins to pray. He cries out on behalf of the people, having now fully entered into the experience of our humanity, experiencing all the darkness that we feel. And this cry that David or the psalmist writes down, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is the cry that comes from humans in a fallen, broken, and sinful state, crying out from that place of loneliness, of emptiness, of feeling abandoned. Has God ever abandoned us? No, God does not abandon us. And yet the feeling that comes as we sin and as we experience our brokenness is this sense of we've been rejected, we've been abandoned, we are alone. And a psalmist is one who honestly cries out to God what they're feeling. And God invites that for us to cry that. Jesus here quotes from the cross, having entered into the pain, interceding for us, beginning to fully feel the impact of our sin being placed on him. Sometimes we haven't experienced that pain. Some of us don't experience all the pain of our sin. And at times we've taken for granted the redemptive work of Jesus. And we can be sometimes like spoiled children, honestly, like, okay, I got my ticket to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for me. And I feel good about myself because I'm forgiven and not realizing all the pain that comes from sin that leads to the need for redemption. And this idea of Lent, part of the purpose of Lent is an attempt to actually contemplate and engage the experience that Jesus had and what it costs him for us to be redeemed. It's not so that we can feel more worthy of it. It's not so that we can somehow emotionally pay for some of the grace, the debt of grace that we've had or anything like that. It's simply that if we want to know Christ and be grateful for him, we have to enter into what it is that he's done. And part of what Lent is, is beginning to live that experience with him, enter in and understand what he's done. And when we watch him cry in this way, it serves as a mirror to us of our own souls in the midst of sin. If you've ever hurt someone and then you've seen them cry, you know, you've done something that made someone feel pain. If you've lied to someone or cheated on someone or stolen from someone or whatever it is, said words that hurt them, and then you watch the tears well up in their eye, those tears are a mirror to us of our own brokenness. They reveal our own brokenness. We can get mad or defensive and try to stop them from crying so that we don't see the pain that's caused by us and it doesn't reflect back poorly on us. But the only appropriate response when we see someone truly hurt by our sin is to grieve with them and then to apologize and to confess and potentially, hopefully, to receive forgiveness and reconciliation. In this moment, as Jesus, more appropriately than anyone in all of the history of humanity, cries out this prayer of lament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
we should be seeing in him our own pain, our own grief, our own lament. And we should look at that and not turn away from it, but press into it and say, yes, that's where my sin leads me is to the place of feeling utterly alone, rejected and despised. And while God may not abandon me, and Jesus is proving right now that we are not abandoned, that he comes and finds us in the midst of our sin. He doesn't leave us alone and say, hey, go figure out how to make yourself clean before you come back into my presence. He enters into our darkness in order to redeem us. But despite the fact that he is doing that for us, when we are in the realm of sin, we feel the rejection of God because our hearts condemn us. And so here Jesus is experiencing for us this deep sense of pain. And it should be to us a reality check of the fruition of our sin or the end of our sin, the results that come from our sin, that feeling of separation from God. Does that mean that the father actually separated from Jesus? You know, understanding the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit is too complex for us to understand. It just is too complex for us to understand. Much of that we just have to receive by faith. But what we do know is that Jesus is fully God and is fully man. And Jesus did not stop being God throughout this process. And the Trinity, there's no evidence that the Trinity's fractured or that something ontologically changes in this whole process at the cross. But we do know that Jesus, the man, was punished on our behalf and that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And we know that Jesus, in all of his horror and all of his pain, cannot in this moment probably see, understand, or experience the reality of his father near him. But we do know that he will cry out ultimately to commit his spirit to the father. So in his mind, there's still the holding out of faith that, the, that they're there, that God's, that they're connected. He and the father are connected, but he can't feel it. He can't see it. It's, it's all very, very intangible and inapproachable. He's alone in this moment. He is completely alone. Have you ever felt deeply rejected by a friend or a parent who disapproves of you or a lover who finds someone else? Perhaps you felt that you weren't good enough. Perhaps you couldn't be what they needed or wanted. Perhaps you really hurt them and they just couldn't get over it. Somewhere inside of each of us, we know that we've broken our end of bargains, of covenants. And we can feel rejection and judgment even inside of our own selves. Jesus was intentionally made forsaken. And this cry is to complete the realization of his own forsakenness on our behalf. And his cry is the cry of an abandoned child, orphaned, but not by death, orphaned by sin. The cry of one who can't find his father. But now that he has prayed that prayer, 
at the gates of hell. We should never have to truly pray it again. Now that he has prayed that prayer, it is not ours to have to pray that prayer again. Because for us, regardless of what our situation is, if it's Moses pinned against a Red Sea, Gideon staring at an endless sea of Midianites, the tiny little David standing against a warrior giant, Daniel in a lion's den, 11 of the 12 disciples facing death or John being dipped in burning oil, whatever it is that presses in against us all the horrors of our lives that can make us feel alone and isolated and rejected for us because Christ has stated this phrase from all authenticity at the gates of hell. We now have the privilege to say this. He has told us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has told us, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Jesus, that you have chosen to walk through our deep sense of forsakenness and to take that upon yourself and to intercede for us in a way that allows us now to have an anthem, to have a great cry of wonder and gratitude just a little turn of the phrase. My God, my God, why have you not forsaken me? Thank you.